Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Show some respect. A message from the Retail Workers Union as we head into Black Friday. Short staffing forcing 22,000 RNs to strike in California. And today on the show, it's Lyuna, Minnesota, North Dakota, and Iron Workers Local 6 in Buffalo. Welcome to the Monday, November 21st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We are going to start things off with Kevin Pranas. Now, Kevin is the marketing manager for Lyuna, Minnesota, lyunaminnesota.org. And uh, this is a, a labor district council. They're based in uh, St. Paul. And they serve members, families, and retirees of five local unions. That would be 563, which is in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Then there's a 405, that's Rochester, southeastern Minnesota. Local 1091, Duluth Superior. Local 1097, which is in the Iron Range of northern Minnesota. Boy, it gets pretty cold up there. And uh, Local 363, now they represent city and county employees in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and greater Minnesota. Altogether, they have uh, well over 13,000 members. They were chartered back in uh, 1968 by Labor's International Union of North America, which is our presenting sponsor on the show with Terry O'Sullivan and Company. Well, we've got some good news to report, and Kevin is going to talk all about it. Recently, the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission gave its stamp of approval for utility company XL Energy to build a 460-megawatt solar power plant with union labor. Gotta love it. XL predicts that the entire project will put 900 union members to work during construction and that the Inflation Reduction Act will reduce the cost for ratepayers by approximately 30%. Now, again, I always say policies make a difference. What I just said, there's your difference. You got policy, a piece of legislation that passed recently in Congress, with um, Democratic support. I don't think any Republicans were on board. But uh, it's going to reduce the cost for ratepayers by 30%. Kevin is quoted as saying, it's critically important that we preserve increasingly valuable interconnection rights that we think will only grow in importance and value over the decades to come as we try to build more renewable energy to replace fossil fuels. Now, don't get me wrong. They're still getting into fossil fuels. But at this stage, the the energy demand in America, and I'm sure Kevin's going to talk about this on the show, it's extraordinary. We need it from all sources, all sources. So we'll get into that and more with uh, Kevin Pranis. Later in the show, we're going to check in 
with Ironworkers Local 6, their business managers, Tom Halligan. And uh, we'll check in to see what the ironworkers are doing in that area. This local, boy, what a history. They were founded back in 1901, making Buffalo, New York, the sixth local union in the country to be affiliated with the ironworkers. Leading the construction industry with the highest standards of excellence and raising the bar in safety by providing proper training and retraining for the entire membership. That's uh, what it's all about. So we'll talk about the uh, the workload. We'll get into their apprenticeship program. Ironworkerslocal6.com is their website. And their business manager, again, is Thomas Halligan. Now for a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. What an organization. $17 billion in assets under advisement. And they serve the needs of Taft-Hartley funds, corporations, public funds, endowments, foundations, as well as religious organizations. Well, you know, Black Friday is right around the corner. And with holiday shopping fully underway, in fact, all the stores have their Black Friday deals already out. They've been out for the last week or two. Well, the uh, Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union wants you, when you're shopping, to be kind to often stress retail workers. Keep in mind, they're not making a whole lot of money. And they take a lot of abuse, let's be honest here. In a series of tweets posted on the union website, the union explains the problems that customers will encounter between now and the end of the year. And they're not the fault of the store's workers, the union, and non-union workers. Instead, the union tweeted they're due to a combination of supply bottlenecks, and then you got the boss's decisions to stick with just-in-time ordering. Though the retail and warehouse union didn't say so, rail union leaders convened last month by the AFL-CIO Transportation Trades Department made the same point. They explained freight rail bosses whose trains transport 30 to 40 percent of merchandise inside the United States have been deliberately short staffed since 2014. And that's primarily from job cuts in pursuit of higher profits. Comment here from the union as retailers start their holiday shopping sales earlier than ever this year. The stress and pressure for retail workers during the season is being extended by additional weeks. At the same time, incidents of harassment. Violence and hate are continuing to rise in stores, causing workers to worry about their physical safety and their mental health. The union continued, the supply chain is still precarious. Retail workers bear the brunt of shoppers' frustration. Tempers quickly rise when customers hear that coveted holiday items are stuck in transit and have been backordered for months, and especially if they're gone to multiple stores only to go home empty-handed. I'm sure that's happened to you many, many times. In conclusion, workers are not to blame, and stores should provide security, safety protocols, and training to handle irate shoppers this season, as well as safe staffing levels to meet the longer demand period. Also, shoppers need to remember what the season is supposed to be about. Love, generosity, and kindness shoppers need to treat workers with the dignity and respect that they deserve amen from the retail 
and Warehouse Union, which is affiliated with the uh, Food and Commercial Workers Union. Continued short staffing at their hospitals and health and safety problems on the job is forcing 22,000 registered nurses, all members of National Nurses United, into a two-day strike starting today against Kaiser Permanente. The strike called after the union gave the legally required 10-day advance notice to the chain took 21,000 RNs in the Bay Area out of 21 hospitals, another 1,200 at Kaiser's Los Angeles Medical Center also marched out to conduct informational picketing. The prior strike authorization vote in both the Bay Area and L.A. was nearly unanimous. So here's the deal. The nurses are bargaining a new contract with the hospital chain, and there's been very, very little progress. So the 10-day notice is to let hospitals make alternative arrangements for patient care. The RNs demand their new contract includes solutions to short staffing, which Kaiser has imposed despite mandatory state staffing ratios, and more recruitment of nurses to replace those who left during the pandemic. They also demand safe floating practices to ensure nurses are only assigned to work in units where they have established expertise or competency rather than wherever bosses send them. Throughout the pandemic, Kaiser has degraded working conditions and standards. That comment from Tinny Abogado. She's an RN. She said Kaiser wants to treat nurses as interchangeable which is dangerous for us and our patients. Got a comment here from uh, Diane McClure, another RN. She uh, works in South Sacramento. Diane said nurses are missing their breaks and lunches every single day due to short staffing. We need our legally provided breaks so we are rested and can provide the highest level of care. And uh, one more comment here, this one from another RN, Michelle Vogue. She's in Fremont, California. Michelle said without enough nurses in both inpatient and outpatient settings, patients are left for hours in the emergency room or they receive inadequate or untimely access to outpatient care. Michelle goes on to say our patients deserve better from a corporation that made more than $24 billion over the last five years. Yeah. They're doing pretty well. They're doing pretty well. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to check in with Lyuna, Minnesota. Talk about solar jobs, many of them, all union, coming to the area back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. .org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Before we get to a Kevin Pranis, just want to give a plug here to the Alliance for American Manufacturing, which uh, last week announced their 2022 Made in America holiday gift guide. I was just talking about the retail workers and how concerned they are with holiday shoppers and the stress level that's out there. Well, you can do a lot online. Just go to AmericanManufacturing.org. AmericanManufacturing.org. They did some polling on this, too, and they found out that 75%, actually more than 75% of American consumers want to buy American-made products during the holidays. Unfortunately, one-third of those polled said they don't see made-in-America products while shopping. Only 14% say they see American-made products a lot. So here's an opportunity. You can go state-by-state along with the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, and check out uh, all the different kind of items that you can purchase that are made in America. I mean, the, the spotlight is on more than 120 companies from all 50 states, again, the D.C. and uh, Puerto Rico. So uh, hats off to uh, the team over at the Alliance for American Manufacturing, one of our proud sponsors well you know our presenting sponsor is liuna that's labor's international union of north america and right now let's go to uh, the twin cities and joining us from that neck of the woods is kevin pranis kevin is the marketing manager for liuna minnesota and kevin i i guess some congratulations are in order here you just passed over what fourteen thousand members there is that correct uh, we have, and we're hoping uh, to be able to hold that number and grow. Uh, it's been a, a busy year, busy few years, uh, pretty strong recovery from COVID, uh, thanks to the leadership of our state, uh, and our union's been involved in trying to rebuild and grow. So uh, it's an exciting time in the construction trade. Kevin, if you don't mind, let, let's pick up on that. We, you know, we're still technically in the pandemic. Nobody's called it off, but it is certainly a whole lot better than it was uh, two, two and a half years ago. But your perspective, how did we navigate? How did Liuna, Minnesota do through that? Uh, 
it was challenging for many of our members, obviously from a health perspective, but one of the important things that happened in Minnesota was our members uh, worked throughout the pandemic. Uh, Governor Walls designated construction as essential work at the very beginning. And so for the most part, our members were out in the field uh, the entire time. Uh, contractors uh, implemented safety protocols, and uh, it was actually really heartening uh, how few cases we had of outbreaks that were tied to jobs, to construction jobs. And so uh, we worked throughout the entire pandemic. We certainly felt uh, the impacts of some slowdowns in certain sectors. Uh, fortunately, our state had recently passed the largest bonding bill in state history. Uh, that's a, uh, for construction of all sorts of public facilities from infrastructure to schools and uh, municipal buildings. And so uh, that was helpful to us. Uh, we were building the Lime Tree Pipeline, and that actually was a critical help to those members who live in northern Minnesota who otherwise would have been employed and at risk of losing their health care. So all in all, uh, we were fortunate. Uh, we had strong leadership here, and uh, generally our members were mostly able to keep working. That's good to hear. And, and you're the marketing manager. Maybe you can uh, give us a brief snapshot into your role over there at Lyuna, Minnesota. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot going on, but a little background on, on Kevin. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, so uh, we're in charge of our growth programs. Uh, Lyuna, uh, back in, I believe, 2006, uh, implemented a pretty aggressive organizing program, uh, creating an organizing fund that it's hourly contribution from work that members do. And so uh, I work for one of those funds based out of our Great Lakes region in Chicago. Uh, mm-hmm. And our job is to help uh, create more work opportunities for members. We're looking for more members, uh, signing up more contractors to partner with us, uh, and uh, trying to identify more projects, you know, basically help members win work and protect standards in our industry. Well, we've, we've got a lot of good policies coming out of Washington, as you well know, and, and one of them, and I just want to get right into it, solar and the Inflation Reduction Act. It's my understanding that it put a lot of uh, public dollars in that industry, and it's already paying off. Plus, you got the partnerships with the state of Minnesota. So, so talk to me about this. Um, I guess it's a 460 megawatt solar power plant that's going to be put together with 100% union labor. I, I like that. I like the sound of that, Kevin. Talk to me more about it. Uh, so uh, the Sherco Solar Project would be the largest uh, solar project in state history, uh, and it's being built by Excel, which is our largest utility and a longtime partner uh, with Lyuna and the Trades. And uh, that project is really exciting because it's being built uh, adjacent to the site of our largest coal-powered uh, facilities in the state of Minnesota. Uh, and so as those coal units are scheduled for retirement, uh, they're going to take advantage of that existing infrastructure, in particular existing transmission interconnections, which are becoming uh, very difficult to come by in uh, upper Midwest, uh, especially Minnesota and North Dakota. There's very little transmission available. That slowed down uh, development of renewables. Uh, They're going to repurpose the transmission from that coal plant uh, first for this 460 megawatt uh, solar farm in the area of the coal plant that will create immediate opportunities for trades in that area, as well as in the the Twin Cities, which is nearby. 
uh, to go to work, uh, to learn those skills, to pursue solar careers. Uh, and then actually, the, that project is just the beginning. Uh, we recently uh, worked with Excel to win approval of a plan that's going to add thousands of megawatts of wind and solar uh, using a what they're basically calling an extension cord all the way from the interconnection at that site all the way to southwest Minnesota where a lot of the wind and solar resources are. So this is the first of hopefully many large-scale solar projects that will be built with union labor in Minnesota. Uh, that was a commitment made by Excel. Uh, it's also something that our Public Utilities Commission has really uh, welcomed. I think they see tremendous value in the use of union labor in terms of the socioeconomic benefits and in terms of making sure that the infrastructure is built right the first time. Kevin, uh, let's unwind some of this here. You talked about that coal plant. I'm I'm wondering a couple of things. Is that eventually going to be shut down altogether? My other question here, are some of the people working in that coal plant going to be working in the solar and, and wind parts? Is any of that going to be happening? So we certainly are going to have opportunities for our members and other trades who've been working at the coal plant uh, doing maintenance work uh, to go to work on the solar farm. And that'll depend on the individual. Uh, there's a number of different types of opportunities. So as we have members who have historically been working in coal uh, shifting, they might go to a school project, they might go to uh, bridge construction, or they might go to the solar farm. But that'll create those opportunities for those who are interested in pursuing them to uh, continue to work on solar. I got you. So you're pretty comfortable with the 900 union members uh, on construction of uh, of that uh, solar power plant? Do you feel that's pretty accurate then? Uh, yeah, it'll be 900 jobs over two years. So I think the peak is about maybe four or 500. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great project. Uh, a lot of folks in the area. And one aspect of this, not only does it create opportunities for uh, our members and other union members who've historically worked in conventional energy. It's also, because of its location, going to create opportunities to bring in uh, folks from underrepresented communities in the Twin Cities, uh, in central Minnesota, into union construction careers. And that's mm -hmm. another goal of the state. It's a goal of the utility and the Public Utility Commission to try to uh, bring more folks from communities of color, immigrant communities, into this work, into these careers. And Kevin, how are we doing that? Are we going in into some of the schools in that area, or are we, are we setting up meetings, like community meetings? I'm just wondering the process in order to target that population, because once once they're connected with those jobs, they're, they're going to be doing really, really well. These are going to be good-paying jobs. But how are we doing that, Kevin? Uh, well, our union uh, undertakes a number of activities in high schools, uh, uh, doing career fairs, uh, working with community organizations. But in this project in particular, uh, there is a uh, an innovative workforce pilot program that's running alongside this project called the Power Up Program. Uh, and right now, the state's uh, Department of Employment and Economic Development is evaluating proposals. Uh, there's funding set aside that actually comes uh, from the utility, from ratepayers, to assist with recruitment and retention uh, and soft skills training, and the trades are going to provide uh, the hands-on uh, training and specific skills. 
so that we're going to that'll create a, a pipeline to bring uh, to bring a lot of these individuals into construction careers. Mm-hmm. So that program is pretty exciting uh, that it's not solely focused on the Sherco Solar project, but Sherco Solar will create uh, dozens and dozens of opportunities to put folks to work immediately on something that requires some skill, but uh, not an extraordinary amount of skill, a way to, to get into the work and then hopefully be able to pursue a career as a laborer or iron worker or an electrician. Sounds good. It seems like uh, all cylinders are, are working on this project. I, I like to hear that. There's another component, too, that I was reading earlier, and this goes to the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, because of that policy, and we've got, as you well know, we've got some good policies coming out of Washington for ratepayers, this will reduce the cost for ratepayers by around 30%. Kevin, that's that's uh, something to take home on. I mean, what the, that the, can you give us some more details on that? Sure. Uh, the, <clears throat> the Inflation Reduction Act is a, a critical piece of policy for uh, the energy transition, and it's going to support both uh, high-quality jobs in a whole range of technologies, not only renewables, but hydrogen, carbon capture, uh, manufacturing, uh, and it's also helping reduce costs for uh, consumers of making those transitions. Uh, Those tax credits are going to substantially reduce the cost of the project. uh, And and the way that the law changed, the utilities can now take full advantage of that so they don't necessarily have to go through third parties uh, to take advantage of the full advantage of the tax credits. Uh, So it's reducing the cost. The other thing that's important about the Inflation Reduction Act from a trades perspective is for the first time, we have tax credits will actually come with obligations uh, to follow labor standards. Uh, As you probably know, at the federal level and in many states, uh, there are requirements, for example, to pay prevailing wages to workers who are working on publicly funded projects. Uh, Mm -hmm. But tax credits have often been exempt from that, even though tax credits cost money, uh, public money, the same as spending does. And in the Inflation Reduction Act, there are both prevailing wage requirements uh, for all of those projects that are funded through a variety of tax credits for energy, as well as requirements to utilize apprentices. Uh, And within a couple of years, there'll be a a minimum 15 percent of hours on a project should be worked by apprentices. And that means that we'll have real workforce pipelines uh, into apprenticeship programs, most of which are run by building trades and their employer partners. Uh, so this is what this would have happened on this project regardless. Uh, but the important thing is it should happen all across the country. And you know, we also represent North Dakota. You've seen real disappointing results in terms of local workers and career opportunities on renewable projects. We're very hopeful that that will turn around thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act. Kevin Pranis joining us on our live line today. He is the marketing manager for Lyuna, Minnesota, lyunaminnesota.org, 14,000 members strong. We'll continue the conversation with him later in the show. We're going to check in with the iron workers in Buffalo. Back in a few minutes, you're listening to America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, 
Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so keep them coming. Growing the show here at America's Workforce. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go back to Minnesota, rejoin Kevin Pranis. Kevin is the marketing manager for Lyuna, Minnesota. Website is lyunaminnesota.org. Big territory. They actually go into uh, North Dakota and they got 14,000 members strong, in case you're just checking in. Big solar plant. And that plant is going to employ 900 union brothers and sisters. And also, it will help the ratepayers with about a 30% reduction in their uh, utility bills. Good stuff happening there. Kevin, you were talking to me off the air about the election. I know uh, Terry O'Sullivan on the way down, very, very engaged, making sure we get the right people in office. How, how did we fare in, in that area, Kevin? Uh, so the elections in Minnesota went really well. Uh, contrary to expectations, uh, we saw uh, the candidates that we supported, uh, Democratic uh, DFL candidate, uh, for the most part, uh, win all of the constitutional offices again uh, we reelected governor walls which was a huge priority for us uh, and we also saw not only a majority uh keep the house of representatives but uh democrats actually took a majority in the state senate uh which was uh, quite a surprise i think to many uh and i think it was a, a sign of the level of energy here uh, labor was a huge part of that victory and we look forward to doing some uh important policy work over the next couple of years it's my understanding that our labor secretary who comes from Lyuna, Lyuna, boston paid you guys a visit right before the vote right he did it was uh christmas come early uh chance for our members to meet marty walsh uh he came uh the day before the election for uh rallies uh including our our what we call our midnight madness rallies in minneapolis and in st paul at the labor federations uh, we send folks out uh, to do the last uh, the last literature drop. Uh, and so he came by our union meeting, happened to be the same night for Local 563. Uh, it was incredible. Gave uh, uh, very direct from the heart remarks to our members uh, that uh, were incredibly inspiring. And then uh, our members uh, went over to the Minneapolis Regional Labor Federation, and it was a sea of orange. It was uh, very exciting. We had all of our uh, top elected officials in the state, the mayor of Minneapolis, 
uh, the mayor of St. Paul and St. Paul, and uh, you saw Lyona members and Lyona Orange everywhere. Well, it's good when you got the federal government and the state government on the side of workers. Now, we we need a little little help, I guess, in North Dakota. What, what's the situation in North Dakota? Uh, you know, North Dakota is really different, and uh, there's a different idea about lots of things. Uh, we've got members there who've been working uh, for uh, generations, uh, especially in energy industries, uh, in uh, coal plant working at coal plants uh, built and maintained. Uh, the region's coal plants and uh, work on pipelines. Uh, it's a little bit of a more of a challenging environment there. Uh, mm-hmm. You see a lower construction standards overall, and so a lot of our work is uh, trying to uplift those standards. We have been successful in, in partnering uh, with a number of uh, key companies out there who are committed to building things right, but uh, we've actually there, the transition to clean energy has been challenging because uh, the renewable industry has not committed to hiring local workers, and we've seen projects with as much as you know, 90 95% out-of-state workforce uh, building wind. And so we're hoping that the federal policy changes in the Inflation Reduction Act will allow us to finally bring those benefits of clean energy back home to North Dakota because there's a lot of pain around the loss of coal, which is a big employer in North Dakota. Yeah, uh, yeah, but we're, we've been working hard to try to get uh, cooperation between Minnesota and North Dakota on energy. Uh, the two states have very different philosophies, uh, but we have an all of the above approach to energy that says we're going to need a lot of tools uh, to keep everybody's uh, homes warm and the lights on. And we're going to need to work closely together. No one state uh, can have its own energy policy because all the states are interdependent. And that's a message we've taken to both Minnesota and North Dakota and we think we're actually making some progress. In fact, uh, there's a large coal plant there that instead of retiring, which would have been a big loss of jobs for the workers of the plant and for our members, uh, it's actually hoping to install carbon capture, and they're going to be adding wind uh, adjacent to the coal plant, so they're going to be delivering both uh, captured carbon power and wind power out of that facility, and that's uh, a partnership we're really excited about. That's awesome. You know, Kevin, I get the wind part in, in that area, Minnesota, North Dakota, lots of wind. Help me on the solar here. And I, and I might be wrong, but the, maybe it's perception. When I think of solar, I think of like California, places like that, yep. Arizona. Can, can you help me through that? But I, I guess it, it's working out pretty well, though, right? Uh, yeah, well, it's, so the sun shines uh, actually quite a bit in Minnesota. Uh, we certainly don't have quite the same level of solar resource that you'd get in an Arizona. Uh, but if you think about the transmission, uh, you lose you lose so much power in transmission that it actually works out to site a lot more solar locally. Uh, it's, again, it's not quite as cheap as siting in Arizona, but uh, that power from Arizona is pretty expensive to get all the way to Minnesota. So yeah, uh-huh. uh, so we're we're expecting a pretty big build out of solar. Uh, the other advantage of solar is it's it's a good resource to put near population centers. You want the the solar near where uh, the people are consuming the power, and it's mm-hmm. a good peaking resource because it tends to, you know, it, it, the production is highest during the time when people are using the power the most uh, in Minnesota, which is typically daytime. So uh, it's, it's a critical resource. Now, we think we need a mix of resources, so we have nuclear And we're continuing to operate our nuclear plants, not shutting them down. Those are a major source of jobs and reliable, clean power. Uh, And then 
we're going to be looking into a number of technologies, into hydrogen, uh, into carbon capture. We're working with Great River Energy on an innovative battery uh, that actually uses iron, uh, an iron flow battery that'll be one of the first uh, demonstrations of its kind right here in Minnesota uh, to try to uh, store the power when the renewables are producing and then deliver it when they're not. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of energy innovation happening right here. I'm so glad that you said that because there's been a push for solar and alternative fuels here. But, you know, we have a very, very large appetite for energy, energy consumption. And it's kind of fun to note that uh, your mission statement on the website is feel the power. Well, well, you're making the power. You're feeling the power with workers, but you're making the power as well. And I know over the years, Kevin, you could speak to this, I'm sure. There's been a lot of pushback. You're saying, oh, we got to get rid of fossil fuels. You know what? If we got rid of fossil fuels, we'd be in big trouble, wouldn't we? Yeah, today we're, we're certainly not there. And I think those are our members who work on those energy systems, who rely on equipment that uses fossil fuels, recognize uh, that we have a ways to go. And in the transition, as you pointed out, that appetite for power, in order to shift, for example, millions of vehicles from uh, fossil fuel to electric uh, vehicles, you're going to need a huge amount of additional electricity, additional electric infrastructure. And so it's a challenging transition. Uh, Fossil fuels continue to play a key role. And that's why it's actually really important uh, to find those technologies, as well as alternative fuels that can accomplish the same thing. So renewable natural gas biofuels. Those are ways to take uh, the same equipment, meet some of those same needs uh, while sharply reducing the carbon footprint. And so it's a mix of technologies and critically important. We need to keep those that fossil infrastructure operating safely for as long as it's needed. We don't mm-hmm. want situations where people you know, drive their car to the, the pump and there's no gas. Uh, we can't afford to have that. We need to keep refineries operating safely a pipeline's operating safely. We need uh, gas peaking plants when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, operating safely. And then as we're able to transition to other lower carbon sources, uh, we'll be able to do that and reduce those carbon emissions. Uh, but in the meantime, nobody's agreeing to have their lights turned off or you know, to have to be stuck at home because uh, there's no fuel for their vehicles. Yeah, you don't want that. I tell you, when those lights go out, you start scrambling. You're going, oh, my God. I, I can't tell you how many times I would call the utility company when that happens. And when it goes on for days, it gets really, really scary. So I'm going to let you go back to work. Kevin Pranis, marketing manager for Lyuna, Minnesota, which also includes North Dakota. Feel the power. This uh, organization, the District Council, has been around since uh, the late 60s, and they're definitely moving forward, moving America forward when it comes to uh, powering America. You take care, my brother. Any parting words for our audience before I go over to the iron workers? Uh, only that we really appreciate uh, President Biden's leadership and Congress's leadership. Uh, our members are excited because we have opportunities like never before in front of us. You got it. Okay, quick break. When we come back, Iron Workers Local 6 in Buffalo, New York. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. 
Find out what it takes for Liuna to keep America running at liuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire-stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. Now... Back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Buffalo, New York right now. And joining us on our live line is Thomas Halligan. He is the business manager of Iron Workers Local 6 in the Buffalo, New York area. That local was founded back in 1901, making Buffalo, New York the sixth local union in the country to be affiliated with the International Association of Iron Workers. Local 6, a strong union built from pride. And Tom Halogen is uh, right in the middle of it all. 300 active members, about 500 when you uh, count all the retirees. Mr. Halligan, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? Very well. How are you doing? Good. Good, good, good. I always start these interviews off, most of them anyway, to get a little flavor of the guest. And I know you go back, what was it, June of 1979 when you decided to uh, enter the apprenticeship program. I take it a family member perhaps might have said, you know, being an iron worker might be uh, the good way to go. Talk, talk to me about that, that, that time in your life, Tom. Yeah, well, back then... Uh... Most of the uh, people in my neighborhood, it's, they either went into the, the iron workers or, or some trade. Uh, my father was an iron worker. He had, you know, he was an officer in, the, in our local, and he obviously wanted to. He wasn't crazy about me coming in, but had no problem with me coming in as long as I, you know, applied myself and took the test and passed and got in. Yeah. That's what happened with me, and my brother got in just before I did, and it's been a, a good career for me. And how long is a business manager for you? I've been I'm working on my 13th year as a business manager. 13 years. How long do you think you're going to keep at it? Uh, Not much longer. <laughs> okay. I know there's a lot of issues. 45, I'm working on my 45th year, so... Good for you. Good. Well, you know what? I, I know all about your pensions and all that. You're, you've got to be doing pretty well looking forward to that time in your life and that's what it's all about that's what unions are all about you you work hard and when you decide to leave the job leave everything behind you have a comfortable life and i'm sure you're looking forward to that time in your life but right now i want to talk about local six um how's he how are we doing with the the work in that area and and i i bring this up because i know with the bipartisan infrastructure law there's going to be a lot of work for you guys. So uh, in that area, what's what's the picture that you can paint for our listeners? 
Well, we're coming off a pretty slow period. Uh, we were we slowed down. We were pretty busy, you know, four or five years ago with university projects. We had some nice, nice sized projects in our downtown area, and then started slowing down. And then the pandemic hit, and it really put the brakes on the work around here. But uh, this year, it fired right up right after the beginning of the the year. We started getting you know calls, emptying the hall out, and we're full bore right now. We got everybody working. Uh, right now we have uh, a wind wind farm. We're big in the wind industry right now. So we got a big one down in our southern pier. A lot of bridge work. We have uh, we had a big art museum project that's uh, still ongoing. Or finished the steel up probably towards the beginning of this year. Now we're working on all the little odds and ends to finish it up the curtain wall the out the glass and everything so that's mm-hmm. that's been a good job uh a lot of work on the throughways bridges but uh coming up we we're going to have more wind farms next year but obviously the big job that's coming in our area is uh the stadium the bill stadium is going to be starting in right after the the season's over so you're getting a you're getting a brand new stadium then huh yep and that's yeah, that should you, be a, a nice project. And that's going to take a, a couple of years' time. You mentioned like four or five years, then. Yeah, they're supposed to start digging. I think by June of next year, and they're supposed to not finish till uh, twenty six. Okay, good. Well, your team has been uh, doing pretty well here, so I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of excitement, not only about the team and yeah. <laughs> also about the uh, about the stadium coming and creating a lot of work. Let's go back to what you mentioned about the wind farms. You know, I have a question for, and I know New York is really big on those compared to some other states. Yep. Where does the iron worker fit in on, on a wind farm, Tom? Well, we erect the, the whole tower, so basically from... They ship them out to the sites wherever they might be. Sometimes they uh, have a lay down yard where we'd be, you know, unloading them. And obviously, there's uh, massive cranes that are on these projects. So we're very instrumental in putting the cranes together with the operating engineers. So that you know, every time there might be three or four towers at one location, and then you got to. So there's a lot of logistics as far as moving parts around and moving breaking cranes down, move them over to another site, putting them back together. But then we start right at the base. We put the the reinforcing. We're, we're, we're a mixed local in Buffalo, so we do everything from the reinforcing right up through the structural steel. And even, like I said, we do curtain wall and glass and sheeting, siding, stuff to that effect. But on, on the windmills, so we'll have guys out there right off the bat putting in re, reinforcing, rebarring the foundations. And then once they're ready for the towers, like I says, we unload them. We're in unloading all the parts at the different sites and then put the crane together and start putting the tower together. So it's a, it's a lot of work, usually a lot of man hours, long days. It all depends on the weather, obviously, mm-hmm. because you're using – you're all heavy picks and you're using the, these big cranes with three – three or four hundred foot of stick in them so you know they could get knocked off because of the wind or the weather so once you start going you go and you know until you pretty much get that tower all completed whatever you're working on on that tower so some guys put in 12 14 16 hour days putting them together wow. yeah that's that's a long day when yeah. you do a wind farm too typically how many windmills are we talking about on a wind farm 
Uh, they vary from like a small one. They might have like 25 to 37, and then a, lar- a larger one might have 57 to 60, and a, even a bigger one might have over just over 100. That's a lot of windmills, no doubt about that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they've been yeah. putting a lot of them up in our area. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've been hearing a lot of good things out of New York, and then you got uh, along the coast over there too. That's a that's a whole new field over there. Um, yeah. Getting back to the the work that you mentioned here, uh, it sounds like a pretty bright future. You, you throw in the wind farms, you throw in the stadium, and all that bridge work. Um, obviously, you got to make sure you're you're getting young people in those apprenticeship programs. How how are we faring in that regard? Uh, we usually we usually don't do too bad, but it has slowed down. The pandemic had a, a big effect on people coming in and staying into the program. Like I said, we slowed down, and that's that's the thing nowadays. Like when when I said earlier that you know most of the guys that I grew up with, you you look forward to get into the union and being in the trades, or you know somehow landing in some one form or the other of a a union, and now. I don't think it's so much there as much with these younger kids. They get if they're if they're not interested in it, they just go and quit and go to some other and find another job, whatever else they might want to try. But uh huh. So you know, normally we usually we accept applications throughout the whole year, and then we'll formulate a list and then start taking people in, sort of like a school year. We usually go September. We take a class in or January. But we'd get maybe 75 to 100 applicants back, you know, five, six years ago. And now it's been slowly coming down where the last last group, of, we hardly had 30, 30 applicants. Mm. So it, it's definitely slowed down a lot. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We're ramping up, trying to advertise different ways, getting on the radio, going through uh, career fairs and stuff like that at high schools, local high schools. Well, you can't it's give always up. always an issue. Yeah, yeah, you you got to keep pounding, pounding the uh, yep. the turf over there, and making sure that uh, they get the message of uh, the union way of life, and the the fact that you can get a pathway to the middle class. And we have this conversation with so many people in positions like yourself, because uh, to your point, you know, they don't want to get involved in in work like that. They want to go to college, and they think that they're going to come out and make a whole lot of money. And you know what? That may not be the case. <laughs> in right. fact, yeah. in fact, instead they're saddled with a bunch of uh, of uh, student loans and all that. But uh, organizing, if you don't mind, I'd like to touch on that briefly. How are we doing um, as far as organizing? And I don't know what the situation is with the uh, with non union contractors over there. A couple of decent sized uh, non union contractors that we've always been fighting with, but. You know, after a while, like like you said, I, I think they smarten up. You know, their their employees usually after a while come knocking on our door and they say, "Well, you know, I've been working for this company for ten, fifteen years, and I ain't getting any more money." And I and you know, now I'm thinking about retiring. So then they come knocking on our doors and want to get into the union where there are benefits and and a pension that they can look forward to once they get because they know that they're not going to be able to do our our business is pretty hard on a person. Yeah. Especially once you get up around fifty, in your fifties. So mm-hmm. we always have uh, a couple of them guys every year or two. They come over and knock on the door. We organize them, bring them in. They usually stick around. They find mm-hmm. it a lot better on our side than the way that yeah. we treat it over on the other side. 
How's the uh, political climate in that area? I, I know New York, I mean, the state of New York, and especially New York City, is very union-friendly. I'm just wondering, the, the Buffalo area is still pretty similar? Yeah, well, the city of Buffalo is heavily Democratic and, you know, union-friendly. You get into the outskirts in the county, it's it varies. Some, some of the, the small towns are mm-hmm. Democratic and some are Republican, but... For the most part, the the central area of Buffalo and Erie County is is heavily Democratic and definitely union friendly. Yeah, yeah. You do a lot of reaching out on both sides of the aisle to make sure you get what you need when it comes to uh, the state legislature. Yeah, we and things have no like problem, that. you know, you know, making contacts with either either party, and we do have some, you know, favorable people that are on the Republican side that. We work with you know, a couple of state senators are definitely union friendly and always have been. So we do, we do all right that way, too. Good. Good for you. All right. Anything else? I, I think I got a good uh, sense of what's going on with Ironworkers Local 6 in the Buffalo area. It sounds like uh, sounds like you've been uh, really moving the needle in the right direction, taking care of your, your people. We're talking... 300 active and when you add in the retirees all altogether about 500 do you see i i know you mentioned it it's tough getting new hires in there in the apprenticeship program any idea where that number might be say in in a couple of years i know you're looking at retirement but there's got to be some goal in mind uh, any idea on that as far as membership or apprentices yeah, yeah. or membership I mean, right yeah. now we have 40 we have 40 in our apprentice program which is Ballpark around average, but uh, we're definitely with this stadium project in the next couple of years, wind farms and sewage treatment plants. And like you mentioned with the infrastructure bill, there's going to be a lot of bridge projects coming up. We're going to have to ramp up, so we might be taking classes in instead of, you know, once in a year, we might be taking them in two or three times throughout the year. There you go. All right, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll check in with you and see if that number gets up to 350, 400. You never know. Tom Halligan, who is the business manager of Ironworkers Local 6 out of Buffalo, New York. You uh, you take care. Thanks for joining us on America's Workforce, and please keep in touch. Okay, brother? Alrighty, thank you. You too. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the IBEW. That will be Local 1924 and our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.